Are you ready? Are you shitty down? We're going to pull back the curtain on the divorce process, the mistakes and the missteps. How can couples navigate the divorce process? Can you still divorce in a healthy way? The conversation is as good as it gets. It's fun, insightful. It will change the way you think about your life and how to tackle life's challenges. The Shine On Podcast, season three. It's episode 62 of the Shine On Podcast. I'm Evan Shine. We're back. A little reset, a little break, a little time off. After 61 straight episodes <laughs> and a month off from the podcast studio, we're back. And we are back in a big way. Producer Dave needed a vacation. And look, I'm going to be honest. One of the emails that came in from a listener, which of course Dave sent to me about 15 times to make sure I read it was, hey, Evan, I love the podcast and it helped me get through my divorce and a real tough time in my life. P.S. Producer Dave is great, but give this guy some time off. Dave, look at that. <laughs> I'm grateful. I took the time to recharge, get outside a little bit, I maybe watched a little baseball, and I'm good, Evan. I'm ready for... 62 more. I'm ready for a hundred more. David, I am absolutely fired up and we have an incredible podcast episode today and a great guest. I am joined by New York City psychotherapist, Tonya Luster. She's the author of the recent guest essay in the Modern Love column for the New York Times titled Couples Therapist, Heal Thyself. Sometimes it's easier to help others face marital conflict than to do it yourself. What an absolutely tremendous read and a brilliant perspective. We will talk with Tonya about her essay, her personal experiences navigating marriage and conflict, and how she helps individuals and couples. Producer Dave, you're back with us in the studio. You're fired up. I'm fired up. So let's fire up the docket. Let's do it. And now, let's see what's on the docket. Per usual, three great items for the docket today. First one comes to us from the paper of record, the New York Times. Item one. Headline in the New York Times reads, Divorce can wreck a woman's financial future. Here's how to rebuild. Article written by Leela Nargi contends that women who have gone through a divorce often see their savings and retirement depleted. Building back means careful planning. Your thoughts on this one, Evan? Dave, I got to tell you, what an absolutely incredible article. And if you think this idea of a financial setback for women going through a divorce is more fiction than fact, think again. It's real. Let me give you some nuggets and highlights from the article. Divorced Americans are more likely than those who never experienced divorce to lack enough savings to retire at 65 with their accustomed quality of life. That's according to a study by the Center for Retirement and Research at Boston College. Let me give you another nugget. Mothers often take the brunt of the financial hit because of both the expense of raising children and the negative consequences for their earnings of having childcare and family responsibilities. That quote is from Marcia Kankian, the dean of the McCourt School of Public Policy at Georgetown University. What's the answer? 
I'm going to give you three words, preparation, education, and planning. Three incredibly important things that when you're thinking about divorce, going through a divorce, or you're starting the next chapter on the other side of a divorce, if you can keep those three things in mind, you're going to be in a position to set yourself up so much better for what life can look like after a divorce. And Dave, this article brought back to me the important financial issues we discussed with prior guests, Karen Chalou and Catherine Shanahan of My Divorce Solution. I recommend everybody go back and listen to that episode because they were both brilliant and the episode was great. But Dave, what are your thoughts? Does this make sense? What's it, your take? It's counterintuitive, right? Because I think popular conception out there is that particularly in the case of high profile divorces, that a woman, assuming, although it may be a stereotype, that the woman is the custodial parent, that she takes 50% or sometimes seemingly even more of the wealth in between that couple and the woman gets away like a bandit. This seems to suggest the opposite, that because of the responsibilities that fall to the woman after the divorce, it's a tough road to hoe. Have you found that, Evan, in, in your experience? Because I know, if correct me if I'm wrong, you represent both men and women. I do, absolutely. I represent men, I represent women, and I see people at all different stages in their life, extremely financially sophisticated people, and people who have not been the ones during their marriage to handle the financial expenses and the financial budgets for the family. At the end of the day, I think this is a concern for anyone, not just women, but men, anyone who's in a position who's struggling with finances or who do, has not typically handled certain financial responsibilities. Dave, that's not easy, mm. right? If you go from being married 15, 20 years and your significant other or your spouse handled and controlled the finances and now post-divorce, you're tasked with the responsibility to have to pay bills and to understand cash in and cash flow out and budgets and spreadsheets. That's not an easy thing. That's right. And I, I know from my days in the past in the legal world, that that's one of the things that makes divorce scary for the women is it just naturally fell to the husband to take care of a lot of those things. It's not always the case these days, but it's good that people can look to someone like you to help set them on a track, on a pace to succeed. The number two item on the docket comes to us from scarymommy.com. Item two. Website, the acclaimed website, scarymommy.com, brings us this article written by Diana Park. Headline reads, you already know if you want a divorce. I found myself taking steps towards a new single life, even though it was unknown and terrifying. Take on what it was like for this woman to face the reality and really let the reality sink in of the divorce, but that the the choice perhaps was simpler than meets the eye. Your thoughts on this one, Evan? Well, Dave, let me start off by throwing this to you. Your divorce, you went through the divorce process. How did you know that divorce was right for you? And does this idea that even being 100% positive when it comes to divorce and all that's involved, does that even exist? I'd say no. It's absolutely true because I had a friend who had gone through a divorce about a year prior to me. I looked for to him for a lot of guidance. And he said, your 
you're constantly searching for when is the right time to do this. And there's only one answer. The answer is it's when you decide to. And so that I said to him, isn't really helpful because I don't know. <laughs> so, but, <laughs> but take us in, take yeah. us into that moment when you were deliberating, having conversations, discussions with your wife and whoever else that yeah. you may have been discussing it with, what made you realize that this might be the best thing even long-term, if in fact, in the short term, you knew that it was going to be challenging and difficult. Well, it got to the point where the the counter arguments just sounded like so much excuse making. In other words, you kind of know, I, I think when your heart, whether it's right to be with this person for the rest of your life, you probably know that pretty early on. You probably know that when you first consider splitting. The problem is, as you there are so many logistical details that you have to get through your head. How is this really going to work? Where am I going to live? How are the kids going to take it? And eventually, if it's strong enough in your heart that I'm just simply not going to find happiness with this person for the rest of my life, neither one of us is going to find happiness. We need to find our own happiness. Then eventually, all those little details, they they become secondary and you start on your path and you start planning. What advice would you give to someone having been through it, who is going through that exact thing and struggling with what the article in Scary Mommy talks about, which is this idea that you have to exhaust everything else, individual therapy, couples therapy, endless discussions over a cup of coffee at the kitchen table with your spouse. And you need to be a thousand percent positive. Yeah. Before you divorce. Well, I, I don't know if my opinion is universally shared by people who've gone through a divorce, but you don't have to. And every marriage is different. And some may know at that first nerve wracking conversation with your spouse, you, you may know right away that there's nothing left here. It has to end. And if you're comfortable with that, then, that, then that's the way to go. But I think you know, people are complicated. We all even the, the, the most hardened of us have feelings and we know we're going to feel bad. And I've always said that no matter how, how much I was convinced that I shouldn't be married to this person, that it's, it's going to be a sad thing when it ends. And it's still a sad thing. I still look at it sad. So my, my, that was a long way I think of saying is my advice is to people, it's okay to feel horrible about this. You're going to feel horrible about it. It's a, it's a sad thing that doesn't mean you're alone. That doesn't mean that's not normal. That doesn't mean you have screwed up everything in your life. Some of these dark places we go to when we're thinking about this, it's okay. It's going to be a hard thing. It should feel hard. So, but when you know that you need happiness in a different place, you should allow yourself to pursue that happiness. I think that's, that's the best advice I can give. And David, that's great advice. Let me ask you a question based on that. Do you, do you, you talk about how it's okay to accept and acknowledge it's going to be hard, it's going to be difficult. Do you think people tend to gloss over that, how hard and how difficult it may be, and they focus on life after divorce and getting back out there and how wonderful things are going to be? Do you think people don't take the time just initially to allow themselves to accept that it's hard and to take that moment for themselves, just given the magnitude of the transition? 
Yeah, well, there might be, we might be some wisdom in the Swedish rock group ABBA and their song, The Winner Takes It All, Evan. I know you're a big fan of ABBA. <laughs> and what I the way I interpreted that song was most relationships, there's one winner and then there's one loser. There's one person who wants it to end and then there's one person who doesn't. And so oftentimes, at least at first blush, that's what you'll see. You'll see one person who's really crestfallen and the other one who's just thinking about the future and how exciting it's going to be. Well, the bell tolls for all of us, not to sound too somber, but it, it, it really does. In other words, there were moments where I, I was just delighting in the f- newfound freedom I was going to have, but that's short-lived. Reality will set in, and eventually you will feel, you'll probably feel crushed over this, no matter what, no matter which quote-unquote side you're on. And it's okay. It's okay. It's It's... It is the end of a marriage. Many people equate it to a death and there's mourning and there's pain and there's all of that, but pain is part of life. So if, as long as you're pursuing your happiness and doing the best you can, sometimes that is the best you can do at the end of the day. We'll move on to a lot. That was heavy. I mean, good questions, (laughs) but now it's time (laughs) to move on to a little bit of a, a lighter note as we look to the satirical website mcsweeneys.net for the next one in item three item three the article in mcsweeneys provides the following places to cry over your impending divorce rated and this is written by jen not one of the wonderful sharp-witted writers for mcsweeneys and it's a laundry list of just like it sounds like places you can go to weep when your divorce is imminent your thoughts on this Dave, we're going to have a little fun with this, and I'm going to give you my favorite, the one that makes the most sense, and the one for me that's an absolute no-no, and I'm going to ask you to do the exact same. My favorite is on a boat. Look, I'm not a boat person. You're not going to find me on a boat, a kayak, a canoe, a rowboat, a sailboat, a toy boat. Absolutely not. A cruise? Hell no. So this line of things could always be worse when you're on a boat. That hit home for me, but that's the truth. Yeah. When you're in it, when you're in the divorce process, you feel like it can never be worse. You feel like you're in your darkest days. You feel like you're in the toughest time you're ever going to be. Times will never be harder. That your kids will not forgive you. That you'll be alone forever. That you'll never date again. That you'll be unhappy. But here's the thing is that's not true. And yes, things, especially when you're on a boat in my world, could always be worse. That That's right. And since we're dealing in the world of satire, we can look to the satirical rock band Lonely Island, Lonely Island and their famous song, I'm on a boat. I'm on a boat, motherfucker, take a look at me. Straight floating on a boat on the deep sea. Of course, the theme- Listening to a song about boats is the closest you're ever going to find me on a boat or playing with a boat with my daughter, but no, boats are not for me. What was your what was your favorite? Is you you take a look at this? Yeah, maybe this long list. One for the classics. I love the way this is written, and the one of the items is in the car, which the the author rates at a ten out of ten. And she says, "This is the little black dress of crying locales. It's classic, comfortable, and accessible day or night. Crying in the car <laughs> is always in style." And I look back to. I can laugh at it now, but there are moments where you're just outside of a Target or a supermarket 
and you just decide, you know what, I'm just going to sit in this car for a little longer. <laughs> There's no one else in here but me. It's quiet. If I need to cry, I can cry. If I need to take a breath, I can take a breath. So, but I encourage everyone to check out the piece. It's, it's pretty funny and laughter is pretty good medicine over a sad subject like this. Well, that is true, Dave. And, and, and for me, the one that's an absolute no-no mm. is the kindergarten and school pickup. You don't <laughs> want to be crying at kindergarten and school pickup. I mean, stay in the car. That's why the one that you said makes all the sense yes. in the world. And not only the car one, I'm all about the shower. If you're going to cry, <laughs> cry in the shower. The tears get washed down yeah, the drain, exactly. as Walter mentions. Yep. You could fix yourself up. You could be clean. Have the moment. You're alone. And the tears, you wash them You're right. It's a, it's a great practical solution. And so, and if you're a female, you happen to be wearing makeup. Or if you're a male, you happen to be wearing makeup. No need to worry about the makeup running and showing up at your next meeting looking like some kind of a ghoul. We can move on to Ask Evan. So this is the segment of the program where we hear from you, the listener. Ask Evan. Ask Evan. Ask Evan. First up, the following. Dear Evan, I hired a divorce lawyer that I just found by searching online. He's okay, but he seems to back down all the time, and I thought he was supposed to stick up for me. What can I do? We're going to trial soon. Can I switch lawyers at this point? That question comes from Steve in Rochester, New York. Great question, Steve, from lovely upstate New York. And look, as I've said before, and I'll say it again, the attorney-client relationship is one of the most important relationships you will have during this time in your life. And Steve, you have a choice, and it's not an easy one. You can discuss your concerns and your thoughts on strategy with your current attorney, or you can look at this late stage in the game to hire someone new. The concern with hiring someone new in the ninth inning, if you have a trial on the horizon, is the cost of hiring someone right before trial, someone you don't know, someone who is totally unfamiliar with your case and the facts and the file. My suggestion initially is talk to your current attorney, your attorney. You can sit down and have a conversation with your attorney. Voice your concerns, talk about the approach, talk about the strategy. I will say that there's reasons, especially in cases that are in litigation, in the court, or cases where you have a trial coming up, that there's reasons I do certain things, or I have a certain strategy or litigation approach that I will definitely speak with my client about because I think it's important to make sure the client understands there's reasons you're doing certain things. And there's also reasons you're not doing certain things. But if you don't communicate that to your client, the client may feel that you're not standing up for the client. You're not being aggressive for the client. But sit down and have a conversation, discussion. I think you'll get your answer first by talking to the current attorney, and then you can decide the best way to proceed. I think that's great advice uh, from my days in the legal world. I recall that one of the, the biggest client concerns about their attorney's treatment was not so much specifically what Steve's talking about here about a question of strategy, but just communication. And so if it's a, a, the lawyer, as you say, may have a, a strategy in mind, but if they're not calling you back, that's where you got to demand communication, right? A lawyer should certainly be doing that. Yeah, no, absolutely. The, the, the communication, the no return phone call, the, the not responsive to an email. Absolutely. Right. There's a bigger problem there. Right. But for example, Dave, two weeks ago, I was in court and I knew that it was going to be a lot of things that were said 
right, about the clients and the clients are going to be present for the court appearance. So I sat down and I prepared my client and I said, you're going to hear certain things that are, are being said. Some are true, some are not true. We talked about demeanor. We talked about how I would respond on her behalf to what is said. And there was a, me- a madness, uh, a method to the madness mm. in court. There's reasons that I won't even respond to certain things that are said because at times you don't want to give credit to some wild allegations. And then there's reasons that I will respond. But I wanted her to understand before we step foot in the courtroom why I would respond to certain things, my approach, my strategy, my plan of attack, what I was going to do before we stepped in so there were no surprises. And if she had any concerns, we can talk about that plan, discuss it together to make sure we were on the exact same page. Next note comes to us and reads as follows. Dear Evan, I hired a lawyer that also happens to be a friend of mine. I like her, but our friends are a tight-knit group, and now I'm worried that my lawyer may be talking to my friends about the case. I don't want my divorce to be the subject of the group's gossipy conversation over martinis. What should I do? That comes from Carol in Queens, New York. Carol from Queens. Great, great question. And a similar theme to the question from Steve from Rochester, it really centers on the attorney-client relationship and feeling comfortable. My advice to you is going to be a bit different than the advice I gave to Steve. I think you need to get out of this relationship. If you need to be comfortable and you should absolutely be comfortable and trust your attorney, there's obviously ethical concerns. If in fact your lawyer is talking to your friends about the case as what you discuss with your attorney is protected by attorney client privilege. If this concern is something that's already eating at you, is already on your mind, is already causing you doubt with your attorney, and you don't believe it's going to change, I would suggest interview other attorneys. You want to be comfortable. I would take it a step further and say that you absolutely need to be comfortable. You need to be brutally honest and transparent with your attorney, and you need to be prepared to divulge all the skeletons that exist in your personal life. If you cannot do this with your current attorney, who is your friend, for whatever reason, make the switch. Evan, what would your reaction be if someone, a close friend of yours came to you and said, Evan, I'm afraid I'm looking at a divorce here. And I thought I'd come to you first to talk about it, but I hope that your feelings aren't hurt if I hire a different lawyer simply because you're my friend and things might be too close to home. Dave, look, I got to tell you, that makes it all, all the sense in the world. And there's times where friends will come to me and don't say that, but that's my recommendation to them. Either someone else in my firm will handle the divorce and I will be totally uninvolved, or I can make a recommendation to another attorney that I know will do an excellent job, but I'll give the client the option. I'll give my friend the option and say, look, someone else from my firm can handle it, or I can refer you out. I'm always available to you if you want to consult and ask me questions based on my thoughts as one of your friends who happens to be a divorce attorney, but I think it's best to keep things as separate as you possibly can for all the reasons that give Carol concern. That's another edition of Ask Evan. If you want to submit a question for Evan to answer on the podcast, email producer Dave at david at pod617.com. Our featured guest on this week's episode of the Shine Up Podcast is Tonya Luster. 
She's a psychotherapist in Brooklyn, New York, working with individuals and couples. She also wrote a brilliant essay recently featured in the Modern Love section of the New York Times titled Couples Therapist, Heal Thyself. We're going to talk with Tonya about her essay and her work. Tonya, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Tonya, let's start with your work as a psychotherapist. You work with individuals and also couples. When a couple comes to you on the verge of a breakup, what's one of the first things you ask them? What do you want to know? I want them to walk me through. One question I ask a lot is, what is it like to be you right now in this relationship? Meaning, how do you feel about the interactions? Where are the resentments? What attracted you together in the beginning that's still there and what's not still there? I want to see how much energy there is behind staying together. That, of course, is a huge thing. We talk about leverage. Leverage can be having children. Leverage can be that there's been this long relationship. They've really grown up together and really want to have a lot of longevity and to stabilize their family. Or it, it can also be, and, and this is probably most often the case, that there is a lot of love there. And they remember how they felt about each other in the past. And they know they've gotten really off track, usually with communication and resentments, and are looking for some guidance to get back on track. That's what's most typical. You find that the answers that you get from one of the people in the session, do you find that it often surprises the other spouse? Yeah, what I find actually is that they haven't been talking about it at all. So they're pretty <laughs> surprised at what their partner says. And I've had people say, even after the first session, which the first session to me, it's more, I'm just really trying to get a lay of the land and figure out what's going on with each each person and then kind of setting an avenue for how we're gonna work that we all agree on. That's the most important part of the first session. So it's not like you're really getting your hands dirty necessarily outside of just figuring, kind of making a plan. And But oftentimes it has been so helpful just to hear how the other partner sees the relationship. And what's great about couples therapy is I'm there to help manage any emotions that come up. It, it's the place to say hard things in a way that hopefully feels safer than in someone's kitchen after a long work day. And so a lot of times just that the real honesty is, is refreshing. We think it's going to be devastating. And of course, sometimes it is, but a lot of times people walk away from that first session thinking, okay, now we can, we, now we can get down to business. Like now we can actually do some work here and hopefully have some empathy for their partner about what their partner has been experiencing. Tonya, what sort of things are red flags for relationships that either simply can't be saved or when you hear and see certain things, you have your work cut out for you? When the couple doesn't have a shared reality of what's happening and what their life is like. So some of that is normal where someone will say, you left the meat on the counter, it rotted, we needed it for the party the next day and you never apologized. And the other person will be like, I did apologize. I said the words, I'm sorry. That kind of disagreement, that's okay. We don't have a videotape. We don't know. We can just agree to disagree. But sometimes there's something very fundamental, like that about how they're raising their kids or what has happened on a daily basis or 
whether someone is putting enough energy into the relationship where they just do not see it the same. And if I can't find some common ground of sort of what is going on, that is a huge red flag. And then the other thing is the truth is, and this is so hard, even if there's a lot of love, sometimes it's too late. And I think as couples therapists, we don't want to admit that as people in partnerships, we don't want to admit that, but sometimes there's been so much hurt that even if the other person kind of wakes up and thinks, oh my gosh, I'm really hurting this person. I want to make it right. Sometimes just the wound is too deep. And that that is, those are the saddest cases. It's very heartbreaking because oftentimes you have two people where there is a lot of love and one person is, and usually it's the person who's maybe, I don't want to use the word bad actor, but I guess that's what's popping popping into my mind. But that person is finally ready to like, really take responsibility and really, really do some good work. But the other, the other partner is just so wounded that we kind of, we passed the threshold of making a difference. Antonia, I'm sure there's, as you think back to, to the people that you work with on an individual basis and the couples, I'm sure there's relationships out there that would absolutely be over if it was not for you. And without mentioning names, of course, could you give us an example of a couple who came to you in distress at a very tough, challenging time in their life and couples therapy was a success? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I hopefully have a lot of examples. One that leaps to mind is a couple who were so explosive, both came from extremely explosive families. And so the fights would be just these scorched earth situations where they, the names they were calling each other and the accusations it was like a wall of rage. And when I started seeing them, I was like, whoa, you know, this is going to, can I tolerate this? Let alone, can they tolerate what the other person is giving them? And, but the truth is they worked so hard and we really talked about ways for both of them to kind of get grounded, manage their own feelings, take responsibility for how they're showing up. We got very deep into family history, which isn't always necessary, but usually it is, right? Because we show up in our relationships with all of the, with our childhood, right? And we reenact a lot of the hurt we had growing up on our current partners. And so to get really, really clear about one person feeling disrespected, if the other person had kind of any questions at all, like what's that about? And having this person really take responsibility for that. And then the the partner getting very, very clingy when there was when when the other person wanted space. And so if you chase your partner and won't respect their need for a boundary, and that partner is explosive, and I don't mean physically, I mean, it just but but sure. a lot of vocal anger, then you're going to create this dynamic where the fights will just keep getting amplified, amplified, amplified because each partner can't be kind of respectful and give the other person what they need. And so this, this couple, I feel so proud of the work that we've done together and it's, they, they are transformed. And I, I say all the time, like, if you're here to be transformed, I, I can meet you there. We, we can do that work and we can change everything if both people are um, willing to both take responsibility for themselves and have compassion for themselves and compassion for the other person and wants holds the other person's happiness at the same level they hold their own. Those, I think, are the key factors. Tony, you mentioned the word both, both people, both partners, 
both people being committed. Talk to us about the commitment, the hard work, as you alluded to, the commitment it takes from both people sitting across from you in a session to really make couples therapy a success. So a line I use in my essay that I believe very firmly is that couples therapy is an ice bath. It is an ice plunge. It is not individual therapy can feel very supportive and it should, and you can do a lot of great work in individual therapy, but it's very different as you might imagine to have the person you're talking about in the room with you. You know, it's not, (laughs) it's not just hearing it from your perspective. You're really forced to hear what's going on in their heads. And that's not always comfortable. You're also in, in a part of my job as a therapist is you're challenging each of their narratives about what's happening. And it's it's a very human of us to make ourselves either the victim or the hero of the story and have the other person be the per- perpetrator. And it's sure. very rarely that simple. So to hear, to be challenged on how you're behaving and to hear the truth about how your partner feels, it, that can be tough. And I have so much empathy for couples who come into the office, show up every week, have the hard conversations, really look deeply at themselves and, and, and it make the shift. So it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard, but, but it's, it's completely, in my opinion, obviously it's completely worth it. It's, it's very, I think almost all couples can benefit from couples therapy and hopefully you get in sooner rather than later and kind of take head off more serious, serious problems that might be brewing. Tony, in my world as a divorce attorney, I always say that everybody loves to play the role of the attorney, somebody's friends and somebody's families, and everyone has an idea on what their divorce attorney should really be doing. But those people on the outside do not really know what's happening, what's legal, what's right. And so I wonder in your work as a psychotherapist, do you find it's productive and good for couples or individuals to really confide in family and friends? about what they're experiencing during their marriage or those thoughts and feelings better expressed working with a professional such as yourself? Well, the the advantage of a professional is I'm really there to represent what's healthy or to get to uncover what's the healthiest relationship they could have. Whereas when you're talking to a friend or a family, presum- family member, presumably they're feeling very loyal to you and, sure. and probably going to be on your side almost no matter what. And, and don't know the other person's perspective. So I, I use the words as you're alluding to as an attorney, I say you're building a case against your partner. And the, the, the more we scan for hurt and negativity, the more we'll find in the same way that if we scan for what's positive, we'll find that too. So if you have someone in your ear, a friend or a family member helping you build your case and reinforcing your anger, especially if you're doing that in lieu of bringing the problems to your partner, that is naturally going to be very destructive. At the same time, I do think we're allowed to talk about what's going on in our relationships with other people. And I, preferably someone who's really rooting for you as a couple and cares about your partner is is what what I would recommend. But really, really abusive, hard things often happen in secret. And so sometimes, sometimes I, I think that saying we, you can never talk about your relationship with friends or family or people who love you can be kind of a, an, a, an abusive person's way to be corrosive or, or, or to 
be controlling. I can't quite get the, the word I was looking for. <laughs> Antonio, let's talk about your brilliant essay in the Modern Love section, the New York Times, which I loved reading. First, let me ask you, what was your motivation for writing it? I'm working on a book and which is about telling the truth and speaking up and and really looking at yourself and your partner in your in your relationship and and really having the hard conversations. And of course, I grapple with that so much myself. I'm definitely someone I like peace. I like fun. If there's a way to avoid a hard conversation as I wrote in the piece, I will avoid it. So <laughs> spending all day encouraging people to have the hard conversations and realizing that in my own relationship, and I've been with my husband since my early 20s. And so it's been a long relationship and we have had fallen into some patterns that weren't great. There's tons of love there. I wasn't worried. I mean, and I say in the piece that I was nervous about being in couples counseling, but overall we had, there was a lot of strengths in the relationship. So we had, it was funny because I had, I love the modern love column and I I liked the idea of, of writing it. And my husband actually doesn't remember this, but I said, I want to write a column for modern love. And he said, you should write it about getting the dog, not realizing how in depth, you know, that was. Oh, we're going to, we're going to get into trouble. Don't we're going to get into trouble. The dog don't, don't worry. But, but let me ask you about your husband. How did he feel about the essay in, in the modern love section? Yeah, he was really supportive. He's a wonderful person. And he wants, he is excited for me to kind of stretch my, my wings professionally and knows that I've been, Plus, I have a blog on psychology today. I have, I've been kind of making writing part of my practice. This was certainly the most personal. One thing that was kind of funny is I had, of course, sent him the essay before I submitted it. And he was like, it's good. It's a good essay. He didn't really comment on the content. And then I sent it off. And um, Dan Jones, who's the kind of fam the famous editor of the Modern Love column. He, he set up a call and I knew if he set up a call that it was going to be published. And um, in the call, he wants to make sure it's all true. Right. So he does ask to speak to my husband and you really fact check everything. And so he asked my husband if he kind of supported it. Yes. My husband said yes. But then when it actually came out and with both of us, you see it in black and white. And I was actually traveling at the time. So we weren't even together. I think we both like, we're like, ah, this is a lot to have out in the New York times. Like this is a lot to have out in the newspaper, but he's been, he's been, he, one thing he said, he was like, I never said no. I would never just say no. You know, I was like, I think you did say no, but he's been super wonderful and supportive about it. And, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. We had, we had processed it together, right? We're in a different sure. place. I wouldn't have written something like this if we were right in the middle of it. And I, in the same way that I would, I don't share things like with clients or whatnot that has, hasn't been fully, fully processed. So, yeah. Well, tell us more about the book. And obviously it sounds like you have a lot of exciting stuff going on between your practice, the articles on psychology today, the guest essay, which is an absolute must read in the New York times. Tell us more about the book. It's my, the book is called Be Difficult, and it's about kind of leaning into healthy conflict. And, and, and I hope that both men and women would benefit from the book. But a lot of it is it's really geared towards women who have been encouraged to be kind of go along, get along, be low maintenance, which is a term I absolutely hate, and to kind of hyper accommodate. And I, of course, I'm not talking about all women, but hyper accommodate the people around them. 
And then wait, you know, why I started writing the book is I was having a lot of couples come in where the wife would have been kind of unhappy and and kind of saying this wasn't working, but then suddenly be done and her husband would be stunned, right? Because it hadn't, he hadn't realized really quite how unhappy she was. And you can, I'm sure that blame is shared in a, in a situation like that, but the book is really about that it's better to speak up. It's better to be known. And, and if we can have good, hard conversations along the way and assert ourselves while taking the other person into account along the way, we're going to have stronger relationships. And this is both in a romantic relationship, but with friends, with family members at work, all of that. So the book covers all of that. No, that's exciting. We can't wait for the book to come out. Going to the point about communication and the conversation, conversations, especially those hard, tough conversations that so many couples and so many people should have, far too often, as you see and I see, people don't have those conversations about life, about work, about children. And marriage is work. It's not, you know, honeymoon forever. And so what specific methods can a couple use, can a couple implement to not only improve their communication, but to facilitate having those tough, hard conversations? So one thing I like to suggest is to have a dedicated time to have the hard conversation. So obviously that can be in a, in a therapist's office, but it could also be, we sit down on Sundays, we each have a cup of coffee and we have hard conversations. And so we've set the stage. There's you know, the expectation is there that you might hear something you don't want to hear. And you, so you're kind of giving your partner a chance to ground themselves, brace themselves if they need to, so that things don't feel out of, out of nowhere or like a slap in the face. So a dedicated time is important. And then a frame I give clients all the time. And this is an old, this was from group therapy. This, so I didn't make this up and, and a lot of therapists have their own version of this, but it's, to use the framework, I notice, I imagine, I feel, I need. So I notice is just, it would pass in a court of law. If we had a video, it, it's total objective fact. I noticed you came in, you didn't say hello to me, and you walked right in the other room and turned on the TV. I imagine if you're taking a responsibility for what you're making that mean, right? Because we we're, we have to take responsibility for our own interpretations, right? So it's, I imagine you're still mad at me for double booking our plans on Saturday night and that we're not going to do the thing you really wanted to do. I feel hurt that I'm being iced out and I feel scared that you're this angry about it. And I need you to be able to talk to me and to adjust the plans if necessary. So that would be, because the other person might say, I notice that you've been asking me over and over again if I'm okay. I imagine you feel guilty because you knew that what we had on Saturday night was very important to me and now we're not going to do it. I feel frustrated that you're acting like I'm the bad guy when you did something you knew would hurt me. And I need to know you're you're taking me into account and that talking about what we're going to do plan-wise is collaborative. So that would be an example, right, from each person's point of view. And you can see, like, it's not okay not to talk to your partner, right? But it's also no. not okay to just veto important plans. And so that's what we get. That's how we try and get to kind of the heart of the matter. No, I absolutely, I absolutely love that. Going to the conflict part of your work that you touched on before, unfortunately, children are often wrapped up in 
the conflict of their parents and the conflict of a couple. How do you give advice to a couple who's in your office sitting down with you about their children without hearing the children's side? of what's happening. That's interesting. A lot of this depends on the age, right? Sure. But our children are our charge, right? And so I hope that one or both partner has empathy and is trying to see it from the child's side. It's I'm sure as a divorce attorney you must say this to couples all the time. Holding a child's best interest as that's leverage, right? Like that's good, important leverage because most parents do want what's best for their for their children. And hopefully most parents can put some difference aside in order to do what's best for, for their kids. It is tragic that I'm sure with in divorce situations, sometimes a guardian ad litem or sometimes the sure. child really does need another voice. And if the, the child is a little bit older and it really feels like I can't tell, you know, you, I should be able to tell kind of what's going on, if I should have enough context to sort of imagine what this is like for the child. But if I can't, or it just feels too murky, or it feels like these parents are not going to be able to put the, the kids first, that in addition to working with them in couples therapy, I might also suggest they get a consult with with a family attorney. But that that's extremely rare. I, I can only even think of that happening one time. And I'm not against people bringing in extra people. If it felt useful to have a kid come in, especially a teenager to come in, I absolutely would do that, right? We are not a couple in a, in a vacuum, right? We are sure. affected by our kids, our jobs, our, our own parents. And so I always welcome bringing extra people in. And staying with the conflict theme, so many people want to know, how do you get through conflict? How do you talk about conflict? But what do you find are the bad habits that couples fall into that eventually lead to that conflict? I think the building a case in their own minds without speaking up about what they're feeling with their partner, that's number one. Complaining about their partner outside of the relationship, <laughs> which we talked about before, while not telling their partner what their complaint is, I find that very, very counterproductive getting kind of getting dug in on a point of view and not working to to see the the partner's the partner's point of view being rigid in your thinking i am all right and you are all wrong or my way is the right way and so every every other way is is a mistake or less than it's it's the same interpersonal skills that would get us in trouble in any relationship right we have to listen we have to compromise. We have to have empathy for our partner. And we want to think of our relationships as being co-created, right? So it has to be a shared vision of who we are together. I said we we're going to get to trouble the dog. So let's go there. In your essay, you detail the conflict between you and your husband over getting a dog. Ultimately, you got one. Tell us mm -hmm. about that. Tell us more about the name Trouble. Yeah, we got like, this is also, my <laughs> husband is a big softie, right? So one difference I think that I would say we have is he wants things hassle-free. He, we both work a lot. We have two kids. We're very hands-on parents. So I think he felt like this is, this is enough. Like we have a lot going on. So he always wants less hassle. I like happy chaos. I could have had six kids. Like I like tons of people over. I love animals. So we're just, we're just different, right? And that's okay. We just have to try and accommodate each other. When it came to trouble, he relented. 
he relented and he is a devoted, he's devoted to trouble and nobody is more devoted to both of our pets, our kids, the whole operation. So he can resist a little bit at the beginning, but I knew he'd, I knew he'd love it once we had him and he did, he does. Good. Look at that. Tonya, how would you like others to describe you and the methods that you implement with the couples, with the individuals that you work with? I hope they think I am empathetic and direct when I don't kind of sit back and and just listen, which I I think is can be very counterproductive with with a couple. You don't want them just to have the same fight they'd have even if you weren't there, right? You want to kind of get in there, get your hands dirty, do some coaching, do some directing, point out blind spots in the communication. So I I imagine they would say I'm very direct, very hands-on. And but really, really rooting for them, right? You you can't be direct and say hard truths to if they don't feel like like I have, I really, really want the best for each of them, whether that means staying together or separating. And that I think relationships, these are the foundations of our life. This is what makes life meaningful. And so so I hope that it's it's uh hard truths couched in love, actually, I would say, or compassion. Tonya, we're going to have a little fun on the Shine Out podcast. We're going to bring back producer Dave, who is going to kick off a segment. We're going to have a little fun. Producer Dave is going to walk us through a few different relationship quotes. We're going to get your take on it. Producer Dave, take it away. Yes, Evan. We have scoured the internet for the greatest thinkers of our time and have come up with some quotes that uh, may or may not be the greatest thinkers of our time, but they'll be interesting. So we're going to read a quote from a famous person about relationships and get Tonya's thoughts on it. Number one, this quote comes from journalist Mignon McLaughlin. She writes, a successful marriage requires falling in love many times, always with the same person. Your thoughts on that? I love that. I, if you meet your partner at 25 and you are together until you're 85, the relationship will have changed, right? And so falling in love with your partner is really, you could say, well, we've had maybe five relationships over the five marriages to each other over the course of our connection. And yeah, I absolutely believe that. And the I, to see your partner anew and adds this uh, freshness and vitality to to a long relationship, which sometimes in very long relationships, I think we start to take our partner for granted and we don't see what's special special about them anymore and take for granted that we're never going to break up, which is not healthy for a relationship. We should feel like we need to give our partner our A game. And that's what I'm hearing her say in that quote. Good answer. Evan, do you agree? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. All right. We move on. Second quote comes to us from none other than the Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama once said, the best relationship is one in which your love for each other exceeds your need for each other. Your thoughts on that, Tonya? Yeah, I think that also I would I would connect that to what I was saying about very long couples where you take advantage or you take for granted that you'll always stay together sometimes that can kind of encourage bad behavior, right? So your need from each other, if you feel like you can't split up, you'll never split up, then you might not be investing as much in the relationship. Whereas if it's it's guided by your love for each other, that to me is saying that you you you're where you want to be and you're you, you know, you're with someone because you you feel like 
your life can be a better adventure with them than without, which is different than just basing it on like needs or logistics. Very good. Final question. Question number three comes to us from the great American philosopher and songwriter, Garth Brooks. Garth Brooks once said, the greatest conflicts are not between two people, but between one person and himself. Garth probably should have said, or herself, but at any rate, <laughs> Tonya, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, as I said earlier in the interview, I we come into our relationships with baggage, right? And we come into our relationships, usually with a lot unresolved from our childhood or other relationships. And so often, if we can resolve the conflict in ourselves and really be curious about our motivations and uh, our our own triggers and what we get activated around, oftentimes we can save ourselves a lot of trouble in our relationship. But I will say as an addendum to Mr. Brooks that I think oftentimes <laughs> we grow the most in our relationship because a lot of these, these issues are surfaced in a way that then you can collaborate on healing the relationship and healing yourself, which can be a really beautiful process. Very good. I, I think she's passed the audition, Evan. Okay, good. <laughs> I think she hasn't. <laughs> Tony, this was absolutely tremendous and absolute blast. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. We can't wait for your book to come out and everybody should check out your articles on psychology today, the guest essay in the modern love section of the New York times. Tell everybody where they could learn more about your work and take a look at the articles. I have a website, tonyalester.com, and I have all of my articles up there. And actually, I have a quiz about, are you difficult? Are you impossible? Are you low maintenance? So which people are really having a lot of fun with in terms of how they're showing up in their relationships. So I, I would encourage everyone to look on my website. And I'm also on Instagram, Tonya Lester Psychotherapy. I have to tell you, I took I the quiz. Go. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to reveal what came back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so pleased you did. That's wonderful. <laughs> no, Tony, this was a pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, Evan. Episode 62. This was tremendous. What a return to the Mike and the Shine On podcast studio. Like Jordan, producer Dave, we're <laughs> back. And we're back and bigger than ever and an incredible docket. Producer Dave, this was tremendous. What a return. A great show and only more to come. Let the Shine On podcast be your summer reading, as it will, when it comes to podcasting. We'll be here all summer. Yeah. The Ask Evan segment with two questions from our loyal Shine On podcast listeners. That was great. Keep sending them in. You can listen to the podcast on all major podcast platforms. And also, check out the episode on Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. I'm Evan Shine. And I'll talk to you again real soon.